0: Thank you, choir. Uh, before we uh, enter into our time of the preaching of God's word, um, I want us to um, pray. And uh, and as we do, I want us to uh, lift up the opportunities we have uh, this weekend uh, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Uh, it's one thing for us to plan to, to, to reach people with the gospel and to, to be obedient to that, but we also must always remember that, uh, you and I, we don't have the ability to change someone. Only God can do that. And uh, so, I want us to, is right, right before we get into our time of, of the preaching of His Word, I want us to um, just pause and bow in prayer, and I'm um, ask that the Lord would work the truth of the gospel that we're singing about, that we've just just heard sung, that we're going to be seeing in His Word, that He would work that gospel into the hearts of people this coming weekend. So, would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would um, go before us um, in, the, in the coming week as we have opportunities to share the gospel with people. Father, we pray that you would, uh, that you would provide many, many of many opportunities for us um, through uh, the lunch on Thursday, through um, the outreach on Saturday. Uh, Father, and we pray that you would be preparing people's hearts to receive the truth of the gospel that we're going to be seeking to share with them. Uh, Father, we admit that um, we can't change anyone's life. Uh, We can't change anyone's heart. Father, we don't have the ability to save people from their sin. But Father, we know that you do. And we know that you have called us to be uh, tools in your hands um, as you seek to change people's hearts with the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that we would simply be obedient that we would be bold, that we would have wisdom to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And Father, we ask that you would work in and through us uh, so that other people who have yet to come to a saving relationship with you through Jesus could experience that. Father, we ask that many seeds would be planted and that you would water them and make them grow as you see fit. Father, now as we come to the time in our service where we open up your word and And it is preached, Father, I just pray that you would uh, watch over this time, Father, help us to treasure your word for what it is, Father, it is the God-breathed word that you have given to us, it is your very word, and so, Father, as we seek to read it and then understand it and apply it to our lives, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be very active in this place through the preaching of your word, uh, Father, so that we Uh, We'll we'll not leave here unchanged by Your Word, which is very powerful to mold us into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this in the name of Christ and for His glory. Amen. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be in the last four verses of chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, as we work our way through this incredible letter that Paul wrote. To the churches in the area, the region of Galatia, and uh, and so as he as he's writing this, uh, we know that he is writing to uh, to men and women in the churches who are struggling against some false teaching that has entered in, and he's going to talk about a family. He's going to talk about a family. And I want us to talk about a family today, not my individual personal family not your individual personal family but we want to talk today about a family that I'm going to call the gospel family the gospel family we're going to talk about this gospel family this week and next week as we get into chapter 4 but Paul has started in chapter 3 verse 7 laying out his case and we've walked through these verses very in depth that salvation comes through faith and not through the law not through the works of the law but through faith in christ alone but i want you to go back with me just for a moment before we read uh, these four verses and i want you to look at verse seven chapter three verse seven he says know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham now i want you to fast forward to the end of chapter three verse 29 and if you are christ Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Verse seven and verse twenty-nine is the beginning and the end, so to speak, of this one long argument that Paul has been making. You see, what's probably happened is that the false teachers, like most most false teachers do, they give a little bit of truth mixed in with some untruth, some some falsehoods. And so they've said, "Hey, we need to be a part of the family of God. We want to be a part of God's family." And everybody would say, "Yeah, absolutely." False teachers said, the way that we do that is you've got to be a part of Abraham's family. We would say, yeah, that's absolutely true. The promises were given to Abraham. And then they would say, and the way that you're a part of Abraham's family is by being good enough, by obeying the Old Testament law. And then that's where Paul, in God's Word, says, nope, you just crossed the line from what is true into what is false. Yes, we want to be a part of God's family, and yes, we're a part of God's family by being a part of Abraham's family, but the way is not through our works, but through faith. And in between verse 7 and verse 29, he has made that case. But now as we get into verse 26 through 29, he's going to end this argument by focusing on our, our oneness in Christ and therefore our relationship to Christ and in turn our relationship to one another. How is it that we are family? What does the gospel family look like? The main thing he's going to say in this passage is that we are one in Christ. The gospel of Jesus unites all who believe in Jesus into one family where all members share equally in the promised inheritance, where all members share equally in And the promised inheritance. Let's read verse 26 through 29. Follow along in your copy of God's word as I read. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I want you to notice a phrase that is repeated. It's worded a little bit different in different places in these four verses, but the, 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 the main point is very clear. We have twice the phrase in Christ. We have once the phrase into Christ. We have once the phrase put on Christ. And we have once the phrase belong to Christ. Now, those phrases may be a little bit different depending on your translation, but they're all there. Starting in verse 26, in Christ Jesus. Go to verse 27, into Christ. Put on Christ. Verse 28, in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you are Christ. Probably a better translation that would of that would be if you belong to Christ. If you belong. Very clear what Paul is saying. Remember where he started in verse 7. Yes, we need to belong to Abraham's family because the promise of salvation was given to Abraham. But how is it? How is it? Is it by becoming a Jew? No, it's by being in Christ. Remember, the offspring promise to Abraham is Jesus Christ. And so if we want to be a part of the gospel family, we want to be able to call God our father. The only way that happens is if we are in Christ, in Christ. I want to share with you three truths about being in Christ that we find in these four verses. And what we see is that we are all these things if we are in Christ. All of us equally are these three things. The first one is this. In Christ, we are one in our status as sons of God. In Christ, we are one in our status as sons of God. Now, we strive for all kinds of different statuses in our lives. I don't know what kind of status you may have striven for. Striven? Strove? I don't know how to say that. I'm terrible at English, y'all. Y'all know this by now, right? I'm not good at it. Uh, but but, but we, that, we strive for all kinds of different levels of, of, of ranking in society. But in Christ, we have a particular status, and it is awesome. We are sons of of God. Now, if we think about who we are apart from Christ, it's amazing that we could ever be called a son of God. Right? Because we are sinners. We are separated from God. So, how in the world could I be a son of God? Well, we know that is through the cross of Jesus Christ and the, the price that he paid on our behalf. Notice when he started out this passage, it was the need to be sons of Abraham. And that is true. We want to be sons of Abraham. In the sense that we become recipients of this promise of blessing, of justification in Christ. But now this, this sonship has been elevated and we're not merely sons of Abraham, but we actually get to be sons of God. That is absolutely incredible. Now, sometimes uh, people read this and even translators of the Bible have read this and they'll translate this word sons and just put the word children. And your translation may say that or or may not say that. And while it is very true for us to say that in Christ we are children of God, in this particular verse, it is the word son in the original language. In Greek, it is the word son. Now, those of you in here who are female are going, well, I think I'd rather be a daughter than a son. Well, hear me out, hear me out, okay? There's a reason that Paul uses the word son. In fact, there could be several reasons. I want to share a few of those reasons with you, and, um, and it could be even a combination of all of these things. It could be that he is speaking into his, in the, into his Roman context that he's writing this into. In this day and time, it was the sons who received the inheritance. And we'll actually talk about this more next week when we get into chapter 4. But it was the sons who received in the inheritance. And so if you wanted to be in on the inheritance, it was good to be a son. And so it could be that he is saying, hey, I'm referring to the inheritance that we have, which he mentions in verse twenty nine. And he mentions even more in the beginning of chapter four. And so I'm saying that in Christ, we are sons, meaning we all get the inheritance. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. We all get that inheritance. It could be that he is referring not just to our inheritance, but to our union with Christ. Who is the son of God? Jesus jesus and he alone is worthy of that title in fact in chapter 1 verse 16 in chapter 2 verse 20 and then in chapter 4 verse 4 he is going to refer to jesus as the son as the son and so it makes our salvation all the more glorious when we realize that we in fact are given a title that is only worthy to belong to jesus I am not worthy to be called a son of God. And you are not worthy to be called a son of God. Only Jesus is. And yet for all who are in Christ. Through faith. We get to join in the inheritance that belongs only to Christ. And we get to be called sons of God as well. So it could be a reference to the inheritance. could be a reference to union with Christ. It could even be a reference to inclusion into God's people. You see. Um, in, in, in the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes referred to as the sons of God, the nation of Israel. For instance, Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1 says, you are the sons of the Lord your God. He's talking to Israel. So if you think about the false teachers coming in and saying, oh, you're not really sons of God, only if you're Jewish, you're sons of God. So if you want to be a son of God, then you have to become a Jew and you've got to follow all the Old Testament law. And Paul's saying, no, if you want to be a son of God, you have to be in Christ. The only way to be in Christ is through placing your faith, trust in him. And so for all of those reasons, maybe one or all of them combined together, Paul uses the word son. And what we want to walk away thinking is, wow, I get to be A son of God. I get the inheritance. I get the share in that title with Christ. I get to be in the family of God. By being a son. We know it's only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. Not through your works. Not through your obedience to the law but through your faith in what Jesus did on the cross to rescue you from your sin so that you could be a part of this gospel family. We are one in Christ in our status as sons of God. No one, listen to this, no one who is in Christ is more a son of God or less a son of God than anyone else who is in Christ. We are one one i don't care if you got saved last week or you got saved 60 years ago we are one in christ we are equal in our sonship before god we're one in our status the sons of god the second truth we see is this in verse 27 and 28 we see that in christ we are one in our standing as united with christ As united with Christ. And this is where we really get the heart of what Paul is saying here. We have this phrase, into Christ. We have the phrase, put on Christ. And then he caps it off at the end of verse 28 with this phrase, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. To be saved is to be united with Jesus Christ. To be united with him. So why is that such an important thing? Because we come into this world... United with Adam. We are one with Adam. We sang about it just a minute ago in that hymn. Reference to Adam's helpless race. We, We are born into this world, children of wrath, because we are united to Adam. And in Adam, all die. We inherit the sin nature from Adam, our father. And we stand condemned. But through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, we get to leave Adam and be joined with Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, in Christ, we are sons of God. In Christ, we receive an inheritance. In Christ, we are justified before God. In Adam, all died, but now united with Christ, we all are made alive. Now, Paul says a couple of interesting things here and there's some things that we want to make sure we understand in context because they could easily be taken out of context the first is this in verse 26 he mentioned excuse me verse 27 he mentions baptism he says for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ now if we're not careful and there are people that have done this and do this they would read this verse and they would say okay then if I want to be saved, then I need to be baptized. And the only way to be justified before God, the only way to have eternal life is to be baptized. Because it says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. We know that's not what Paul is saying for a couple of reasons. Number one, the very clear reason, is that if baptism saved us, then we would be saved by work that we did. And Paul's whole point in Galatians is that we're not saved by our works. And so if that's what he meant here, then he's just gone against everything he said thus far in the letter and everything he's going to say. There's no way that's what he means here. We could even go back to chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 as an example of this not being what he says, that we're not saved by our baptism. Because in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, he asks the Galatians to go back and remember their salvation, the moment that they were saved. But what does he point them to? Not their being baptized, but their faith. He says, now, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. He doesn't ask them, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by baptism? He says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith? So it's faith, through faith, that they receive the Spirit of God and were saved, not baptism. So we go back then to chapter three, verse twenty six. Excuse me, I keep saying twenty six, I'm sorry, verse twenty seven. And he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Well, what does he mean? If baptism is not the thing that saves us, it's our faith, what's he talking about? Well, baptism in the New Testament was the normal culmination of the entire experience of salvation. When you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, that was followed up with baptism. And so he could say that, and what his readers, what these believers knew he was talking about was their salvation through faith. Because that was the moment in their life where they told everyone, hey, I have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And I am giving a great picture of that through my obedience to be baptized. And so he can use that as a reference to faith in Jesus Christ and to salvation. So we don't want to rip that out of context. Paul uses baptism to refer to the believer's union with Christ. And it is a beautiful picture of how we are united with Christ in His death and resurrection by His grace through our faith in Him. He probably uses it here as a reference to union with Christ. It could be that he chose to use this word because of what he says at the end of verse 27. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It would be a very visual picture of at baptism having to change your clothes, right? Because you got all wet and you had to put on new clothes. And here he references putting on Christ. So it could be that he's thinking about that beautiful picture of baptism where someone declares that they have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior and united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. And through that, they have been completely transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, putting on Christ. But we don't want to miss the main point here, which is that as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Not some of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, but as many of you, all of you, equally have put on Christ. And he, ends, he enters right into verse 28 giving three areas of human life where we see differences. And those differences aren't inherently evil or bad, but those differences sometimes lead to sinful behavior, and to divisions among people. And he wants to point out these particular three areas of life and say that, guess what? It doesn't matter where you fall in these three categories, if you have trusted through faith in Jesus Christ, who have been baptized into Christ, you are one in your union with Christ. What three areas do we see? Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What are these three areas? Well, the, the, the area of, of ethnicity or, or race. I don't really like to use the word race. I think we're all one race. We're the human race. But we have different ethnic backgrounds. We have different ethnicities. And, and so that's one place in human life where we see differences And sometimes those differences lead to unhealthy divisions. Another area we see, and there's neither slave nor free, that would be in reference to uh, societal class, which is often, not all the time, based on your wealth, your monetary wealth, economic differences that we have from person to person. And so, of course, a slave would have been poor, and the free would have had much more money than a slave would have had. And so there would be differences in those people, But those differences can lead to unhealthy divisions between people that fall into different um, economic classes in society. And then the last area we see is the area of gender. There is no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Again, God created us male and female. That's not inherently evil. But what happens because of sin is we take those differences and we turn them into unhealthy divisions that drive us apart so that one person thinks they're better than another person. I want to read to you what uh, Bible scholar Timothy George had to say about this verse of Scripture. And and, uh, I think he just puts it very well, and I want to share it with you. He said, The three pair of opposites Paul listed. Stand for the fundamental cleavages of human existence, ethnicity, economic capacity and sexuality. Race, money and sex are primal powers in human life. No one of them is inherently evil. Rather, they are the stuff of which life itself is made. The very propagation of the human race itself is based on the distinction between male and female. And while slavery is a gross perversion of God's material blessing, the ability to work hard, invest wisely, and plan carefully is essential to the well-being of any economic order. Likewise, the rich cultural and ethnic diversity of the human family has inspired some of the greatest music, some of the finest art, and some of the best literature of the ages. Yet each of these spheres of human creativity has become degraded and soiled through the perversity of sin. Nationality and ethnicity have been corrupted by pride. Material blessings by greed and sexuality by lust. Here's the point. Although these differences have often become areas of division and strife in our sin-cursed world, part of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that union with Christ then unites all believers into one body where all are equally members of this gospel family. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, whatever nationality, ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free, poor or rich in monetary terms. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. We all stand equal At the foot of the cross. Because we are all equally sinners. All equally in need of a Savior. And all are saved only through faith in Jesus Christ. The cross levels the playing field, so to speak. And it's something that we need to be reminded of. Because there's still some sin left in our hearts, even as God has rescued us from our sin and he is slowly transforming us into the image of his son. But we still battle against sin each and every day. And and, and what what will happen is if we're not careful, the unhealthy divisions That we see out in society, in our world that hasn't experienced the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We could begin to see those inside the gospel family. And those things could drive us apart from one another. Those things could lead to pride and arrogance. While I look at this person and say, I am more worthy of the gospel. I am more worthy of salvation because my skin color is different than this person." Or because my gender is different than this person. Or because I have more money than this person. Or my might would say, because I have less money than this person. I look down on this person because he or she seems seems, seems uh, 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 to, to look down on me because they have more wealth than I do. And so all of these things could, could interact with one another. They drive us apart. But the beauty of the gospel is that we can be united into one family. We we see all the time in, in our society, we watch the news, whatever, this, this longing in our society for us to be, to be one, right? For us to be unified. The only thing that could take very, very, very different people from very, very, very different walks of life and unite them into one unified family where we stand and we look at one another equal is the gospel of jesus christ only the cross of christ has the power to take differences that our sin turns into division and get rid of those divisions not get rid of differences but get rid of the divisions and put us back into one family and the way that we protect ourselves even as a church as a gospel family from experiencing the harm that these divisions can cause is by constantly reminding ourselves of our union with Christ, that we are one in Christ Jesus. No one, no one who has placed their faith and trust in Christ is more united with Christ or less united with Christ than anyone else who has placed their faith and trust in Christ. Doesn't matter the difference. Doesn't matter our our nationality. Doesn't matter how much money we make. Doesn't matter whether we're male or female. We are one in Christ. We are united with Christ and we are united with Him equally. And we must remember that. Racism, favoritism, sexism are destroyed by the cross and they have no place in the gospel family. We're one in our status of sons of God, we're one in our standing as united with Christ. But finally we see this truth in verse 29. In Christ we are one in our position as heirs of the promise. We are one in our position as heirs of the promise. Notice how he closes out this. After saying that we're all one in Christ Jesus, he says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is what he's been trying to say the whole time. It's what he has been saying. This is what he's saying against what the false teachers are saying. They're saying, yes, you need to be in the family of Abraham. And here's how you're in the family of Abraham, by doing all of these things. And Paul says, no, Here's how you're in the family of Abraham, by being in Christ. In Christ alone. The only way we're in Christ is through trusting and believing what he did on the cross to rescue us from our sin. Remember chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. What is this inheritance? He says that then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's that promise that he mentioned in chapter 3, verse 8. It's that we would be justified before God. That we could be put in a right standing with the God who created us, with the God who we have sinned against, that God could look at us and see us as righteous even though we are not. That is the promised inheritance. Justification before God. Being counted righteous in the sight of God. Rescue from sin and restoration to an unbroken relationship with God. Ever since the fall. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, the fall of mankind, humans have been trying to get back into a right relationship with God. Something inside of us knows that something has gone wrong between us and God. Even if we don't completely understand it, we know that something inside of us has gone wrong because we know that we have failed to live up to his standard. We know that something is missing in our lives. So we strive for earthly goals and accomplishments, and then we find ourselves still unsatisfied, and often more unsatisfied than we started we tried this and it didn't work, and we tried this and it didn't work, and we tried this and it didn't work. We know we were made for something more, and that something more is the kingdom of God. As long as we're living for the kingdom of self, we'll never experience true life as God intended. And that's workspace salvation. That's living for the kingdom of self. That's saying, I can do it. I can pay for my sin. I can make up for what I've done wrong. I can earn my way to God. Guess what that's all about? Me and what I can do. That's the kingdom of self. And as long as we're living there, we'll never experience true life as God intended. We'll never be satisfied. We'll never be at peace with God or with one another. But God sent his son to take, our, take away our sin, put us back into a right relationship with our creator. So through faith in Jesus, we are restored back into the kingdom of God. We are rescued from sin. We are given eternal life. We are united with Christ. We become recipients of the promised blessing. We get to share in, with the inheritance that really only belongs to Jesus Christ, the true Son of God. But here's Paul's point here. Not only is he trying to help us understand that it's in Christ and not through works of the law, but he wants us to understand that we share Equally in this inheritance. We share equally. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Jew, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are heirs according to promise. Greek, Gentile, which means any other nationality, any other ethnicity in the world. If you've trusted in Christ, you are recipients of the promised inheritance. Slave. I don't care. How low on the totem pole of society you are, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are recipient of the promised blessing. Rich, wealthy in the eyes of the world, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get to share in the promised inheritance. Male, if you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get to share in the promised inheritance. Female, if you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get a share in the promised inheritance. And no one who is in Christ is more an heir of the promised inheritance or less an heir of the promised inheritance than anyone else who is in Christ. No one gets more of the inheritance than anyone else. We share equally in this. We are one in our status as sons of God. We are one in our standing as united with Christ. And we are one in our position as heirs of the promise. Say, so what impact does this make on my life? I think it makes a lot of impact on our lives, even on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. We have to place a superior value on the eternal blessings of being in Christ than the temporary benefits of being in the world. That's what that means more than wanting a great status in society or a popular standing in the world, or more than wanting to position ourselves to receive or to leave a worldly inheritance, we should want to be sons of God and united with Christ and heirs of the promised blessing. We should want that for ourselves. We should want that for our children. We should want that for our neighbors. We should want that for everyone. And so we need to share with people. We need to believe in ourselves and to share with people. The true life does not consist in Our status in society, true life, consists of whether or not we have a status as sons of God. Whether or not we belong to the gospel family. It also matters in our relationships with one another. We must view everyone who possesses these things through faith in Jesus equal in their status, in their standing, in their position in Christ. Our equality is rooted in the by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, salvation, gospel that we have. We're all equally sinners. We all are in equal need of the blood of Jesus Christ to rescue us. You're no more worthy of salvation than anyone else who's trusted in Christ. I think it leads us to worship God. It leads us to worship God, for the power of the gospel that can take these deep-rooted divisions that we often find in our world because of the differences that we have? And erase those divisions while leaving the differences there. He doesn't erase the differences. We're still male and female. He's not saying that there's really no male and female or just all one gender. That's not what He's saying. Okay? He's saying that in Christ, we are equal. He's not saying that there aren't people who have more money and, and people who don't have more money. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying that those people with very real differences are together in Christ equal. He's not saying that there aren't differences in our ethnicities, that there aren't differences in our languages, there aren't differences in, in the way that we dress, the way that we look. He's just saying that we're all one in Christ and we're equal in our union with Christ. So so here's what that means. Here's what that means for the church. The church should be the one place in our world where people can see a wide array of differences. And yet all of those differences coming together as one family, loving one another, sharing the same gospel message, Worshipping God as one together. Working together for the sake of the kingdom of God. Where these very real differences do not hinder our relationship from one another. I'm going to tell you something. The world sees that. Now that's the gospel message that they'll be attracted to. But if they just see division... Well, I think I'm better than this person because my skin color is different? Even though we're both sinners and and have both trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Why would anybody want any part in that gospel message? Why would anybody want any part in that God? See, it matters for our day-to-day life. It matters for our church. We must allow the gospel to unify us and we must repent of any pride and arrogance we may have in our thoughts and our actions towards those who are different than us, but are equally children of God. There's one gospel message. One gospel message. There's one way of salvation. It is by God's grace through his faith, through our faith. Excuse me, let me say that again, because I don't want to mess that up by God's grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because there is one way of salvation, we are one in Christ. The gospel family. We are one. And God receives all the glory and the honor and the praise for that. Because only He is powerful enough to do something that magnificent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we come before you in prayer, we ask that these truths from this passage of your word would penetrate deep into our hearts and souls. Father, the beauty that you are able to take people from all around the world. From different ethnic backgrounds. From different economic classes. The way that our world categorizes people. You can take both male and female and you can unite all of us together in Christ the Gospel of Jesus. Father, I pray that You would forgive us of any bit of arrogance that we may have when we think about somebody who is different than us. Father, would you rip that pride and arrogance right out of us. I don't care how much it hurts. Father, rip it out of us. Father, because when we stand at the foot of the cross, we all stand on level ground. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. So, Father, I pray that since we know that all people, all people, need the gospel. That we would share the gospel with all people equally. And Father, since we know that we are all one in Christ, if we place our faith and trust in You, we are one in Christ. Father, I pray that we would view one another in Christ as equal. That we would never look at ourselves as any better are any more saved, or any more in Christ than anyone else, regardless of the differences that we may have. Father, help us to apply these truths to our lives. Lord, if there's someone here who's not in Christ because they've never placed their faith and trust in You, Father, I pray that You would lead that person to a place of repentance of sin and faith and trust so that they can be in Christ and in the Gospel family. Father, for those of us who are in the gospel family, Father, I pray that we would reflect that, reflect our oneness in Christ through our love for you and our love for others equally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.